When I think about keeping my children safe, it's easy to first think of a list of things that I tell them not to do. Right? You guys probably have an often repeated list, those of you who are parents, that don't run with scissors, which you actually do have to say. The don't talk to strangers, I mean, unless being hospitable. Don't touch that burner. All kinds of things you say to your children in the goal of keeping them safe. But safety is more than instructions of things not to do. We also have to model for our children what to do if we want to keep them safe. One of my concerns when I walk with my daughters to the neighborhood grocery store is to look out for cars. And of course, you can tell them that, hey, you should watch out for cars. But there's things that they just don't think about. Like, for example, when you see three cars, three SUVs, minivans, right up to the sidewalk, right? If someone were to pull out in that middle, they would never see my daughters walking by. So yesterday, as I was walking home with them, I realized that I'm telling them, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to swerve out to the edge of the sidewalk. Now, I don't know if that makes me an overcautious parent, but swerve out to the edge of the sidewalk just because I want to be able to see if that car is backing out. I, I keep telling them that, them that, but I'm also modeling that for them. I want them to learn by my example. The safest thing for them to do in that, in that situation is to follow my example. In Philippians 3, verses 17 to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes to ensure the spiritual safety and the stability of the saints in Philippi. Philippians 3, 17 to verse 4, 1, he writes to ensure the spiritual safety and the stability of the saints in Philippi. Today... Lord, Lord willing, verse 9, 17 and 19, we're going to see that Paul commands the saints to follow his example because of the danger presented by the enemies of the cross of Christ. And I'll repeat that again in a little bit. Next week, the plan is to look at 320 to verse 41, and Paul commands the saints to stand fast because of the certainty accomplished through the cross of Christ. So this week, we're going to see uh, Paul commands the saints to follow his examples because of the danger presented by enemies of the cross of Christ. And the next, the next week, we're going to see that Paul commands the saints to stand fast. So this section is about safety and stability. So open your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 7 to 4, 1, because I do want us to, to, to back up a little bit and get the whole section so that when Paul tells us to follow his examples, we know what he's talking about. Now, remember here that Paul is writing from prison in Rome to a church that he had planted 10 years prior. The church in Philippi on the east coast of Greece or near there was an, really a remarkable church. It was a healthy church. It was facing some, some challenges, some problems with unity. It was struggling as it was going through persecution. But it was really a remarkable and mostly healthy church. Like many churches, though, that Paul planted, the church in Philippi was in danger from false teachers. These false teachers had really gone around following Paul, promoting that Christians, believers in Jesus, could improve their position with God by adding to their faith works. And in this case, it was the Old Testament ritual of circumcision. As we read here again, we're going to see that Paul 
argues against putting confidence in anything other than Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than Christ. We can't improve upon Christ. To gain Christ, we see in Philippians 3, 9 through 11, is to gain righteousness. It's to gain transformation. And at the resurrection of the dead, it's to gain glorification. Last week we saw from Philippians 3, 12 through 16, that, that Paul having all of those things and those incredible blessings didn't lead to his apathy. Instead, he pursued God-pleasing perfection. We talked about how that isn't becoming, making yourself right with God, but striving for the prize for which Christ has taken hold of us. Paul knew that that perfection wouldn't be completed until the return of Christ. And yet we see that he pressed on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knew he wasn't perfect yet, but he was pursuing that. So that's a little bit of the background. We're going to read Philippians 3, 7 to uh, chapter 4, what I'm going to read to you. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. There's something better. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ." And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verses 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, or really uh, uh, as many as are mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And here's where we're going to focus this morning. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you that it is perfect. We thank you that it is powerful to revive our souls and to enlighten our eyes. And we pray, Father, that you would be doing that now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the how essential it is to take seriously Paul's command to follow his example. I pray, Father, this morning that you would help us to see that that is um, a path that lies within your grace, Lord. And that if we, stay, if we stray off the path, it is dangerous. 
that there's dangers of enemies of the cross of Christ really on either side, whether um, adding to what Christ has done or uh, not living out what Christ has done. So I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom this morning, open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look first at the command to imitate and then the need to imitate so that we will remain safe from the enemies of the cross of Christ. So first, we're going to look at the command to imitate. Then we're going to look at the need to imitate so that we will remain safe from the enemies of the cross of Christ. So let's look at that, that command to imitate first. We see it in Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example. And literally in the Greek, it's become with imitators of me. So become an imitator of me, but he puts a, 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 a prefix before the word imitator, with. Become a, a with imitator of me. The Philippians needed to commit themselves to following Paul's example together. And that's true of our church. We need to be committed together to following Paul's example. Really, there's none of us who can kind of ostracize themselves and say, well, I'm not going to do that. We need to work together to follow that example. Men and women, all ethnicities, all ages, if you have faith in Christ, regardless of your gifts and callings, we need to commit together to follow Paul's example. Now, we know that there's things in Paul that, that we can't do. We don't all have the freedom to go and be missionary church planners. That's not all of our calling. But we can fulfill this command through the Lord Jesus Christ to be an imitator of Paul. It's important that this is not the pursuit of a lone wolf. This is it's not someone out there by themselves who gets fed up with complacent Christianity and says, fine, I'll just do it myself and just goes and tries to be Paul by themselves. This is something that the church needs to do together. Now, Paul doesn't make this command out of pride. I mean, really, and, 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 and I know that some of us may struggle with this. Join in following my example. I'm setting the pace here. I'm the mark. Live up to my example. That'd be awkward saying that, right? I think many of us would feel that way. Now, Paul had already pointed out Christ as the example. We saw that in Philippians 2.5. He said that we need to have the attitude which was also in Christ Jesus. But even in this recent passage here, we see the humility of Paul. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 13, we saw that. He says, I'm not already obtained it. I'm not who I am going to be. I haven't been made perfect yet. I do not regard myself as laying hold of it. So his imperfection, and he happily, willingly admitted that he was not perfect yet. He was not transformed yet. He still needed Christ, and yet he could say, follow my example. He wasn't looking to be their only example. We see that in the second half of verse 17. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So I'm just saying these things so that we don't think that, wow, that's, that's kind of proud of Paul, saying that he should be their example. This is a command that Paul gave elsewhere. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he exerted the saints there, exhorted them. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. We see in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 9, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. And at the end of verse 9, to offer ourselves as a model for you. We're even going to see that in, 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 in chapter 4 as well. Chapter 4, Philippians, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 
I just bring out those verses just to show that that was a common uh, practice of Paul to say, you need to follow my example. So we see there the command to imitate Paul. And we're going to see as we explore where Paul goes next. Paul knew that as they imitated him, that would be the safest thing for them. Now, maybe not the safest thing for their physical bodies. They could go through persecution. But they would be kept spiritually safe as they followed his example. Now, Paul doesn't put limitations on how they are to imitate him. And and, and really, uh, we could spend a lot of time. And I would encourage reading through Philippians again if you haven't read through it recently. And read through and say, what about Paul is praiseworthy here? What, what, what should I imitate from him? We just saw, most, most recently, even last week, verses 12 through 14. We saw Paul's passion in the pursuit of perfection. Not content being untransformed in this life, but yearning and striving and stretching out for as much holiness as he could in this life. That's clearly something that we should follow his example in of straining forward, of pursuing the prize. No doubt his example includes Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, of counting all things lost in order to gain Christ, and prizing Christ above all things, willing to give up anything, but definitely any sense of self-righteousness so that we could have Christ. But there's more that we've seen in Paul in this letter. In chapter 1, we, 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 we saw his, his prayers We saw Paul's affectionate yearning for the saints. We saw his optimism, his confidence, knowing that God who began a good work in them would bring it to completion. We should imitate that. We saw Paul's ambition for gospel progress and his rejoicing when Christ is proclaimed. We should imitate that. We must imitate Paul's desire to depart, to be with Christ, to know that that's where true joy is. And yet... Imitate his willingness to remain also for others' progress and joy in the faith. To be able to look and say, I am here so you grow. And that's why you are here so that I grow. We need to imitate that, that sense of purpose. Paul talks in Philippians 2 about being poured out upon the sacrificial service of the saints. That he, he saw, he wanted to be the complement to other sacrifice. That's what it means to imitate Paul. And we could have course, extend this command to imitate Paul to other things that the Philippians would have known about Paul. His passion for God's glory and the pursuit of gospel progress. They saw that when he first came to Philippi. They had been the recipient of his concern for the churches and his love for the saints. They saw his prayerful, sacrificial, hardworking life. Some of them, and I've talked about this, I'm sure it was legend for them. Paul, sitting in prison with Silas after being beaten with rods and singing hymns in the middle of the night. That is what we are to imitate. And of course, even as we talk about that, we see how impossible that is in ourselves. But we know how that is possible. We've seen it in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That is possible through our union with Christ in his resurrection. That we can go through the fellowship of his suffering. That we can be conformed to Christ in his death. This is not possible in ourselves. This was not possible for Paul in himself. We saw who he was in the beginning of of Philippians 3. We didn't read it this week, but we've seen that. 
He, he had no capacity for true God-pleasing righteousness in himself. But now, because of his union with Christ, he was able to live out this kind of life that could be imitated. This, this sacrificial, joyful, Christ-exalting, God-glory-pursuing life. Now, he's not the only one. At the end of verse 17... It says, so he says, brethren, join in following my example. Then at the end of 17, it says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul's not the only model for the saints. Paul also commands that they observe, which means to pay careful t- a- a- attention to. Look at those who walk, whose lifestyles match up with a pattern in us. So walk is not talking about their physical walk, but their, but their whole lifestyle. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And the us there is plural. It refers to Paul and refers to Timothy. Perhaps it refers to other men like Epaphroditus and and, and Silas who had been there when the gospel was first brought to them. We spent a lot of time on Philippians 2 verses 19 to 30 for this reason. Because Paul spent a lot of time in Philippians 2 19 to 30 talking about Timothy and talking about Epaphroditus, talking about their examples. And why? Because we are to imitate them. In Timothy two, in, in, uh, in Philippians two twenty, we saw how Timothy was generally concerned for their welfare. That's what we need to imitate. How Timothy sought the interests of Christ Jesus and not his own interests. We need to imitate that. We need to observe those who walk according to that pattern of 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 being a slave for the furtherance of the gospel. Or descriptions of Epaphroditus in 2 verse 25. How Paul describes him as a fellow worker and fellow soldier. Verse 26 describes him as someone who is distressed that you heard he was sick. You were worried about him so he was distressed. The same kind of concern about others' joy and others' welfare. Philippians 2.30. That he was close to death for the work of Christ. That's who Paul is saying we need to be imitating. Now, we know that we are are not all single men like Epaphroditus and Paul who could take that 50-day journey, right? But in our lives and in our spheres and in our prayers and in our passions to see Christ exalted in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to suffer all things for the sake of the elect, as Paul did. Now, no doubt that included the church, le- the church leadership. Those who, it says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you, you have in us. You, you've seen the pattern in Paul. You've seen in Timothy, in, in, in Epaphroditus. Now, observe those who are walking according to that pattern. Well, of course, that would have been the, the overseers and deacons, elders and deacons mentioned in the beginning of the book. 1 Peter 5.3, Peter exhorts the elders to proving to be examples to the flock. Paul called Titus to be an example of good deeds. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writes to Timothy to be uh, in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Show yourself an example of those who, who believe. So it definitely included elders, it included deacons, it includes following their example, but that's not all. He doesn't limit it just to church leadership. It's following the example of anyone who has this kind of life, who follows the apostolic pattern, of being spent 
for Christ's glory. Being spent for the good of your brothers and sisters. Are you someone who is following that apostolic example? Can you look at this verse and say, and we're not talking about doing it perfectly, but yes, as a pattern of my life, I am following Paul's example. I am paying careful attention to those who walk according to that example. Are you following that example, Paul's passion for our brothers and sisters, for their holiness? Paul's pattern of prayer, of Paul's pattern of, of speaking into one another's life, of encouraging and exhorting and admonishing? Are you following that pattern of saying, Lord, use me as much as you will to, 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 so I can be an instrument in your hands so that someone else becomes more like your son. Is your life about God's glory in the church? That is, the that is what Paul is calling us to imitate. That is the example that he's given for us. That's a heavy example. Maybe you feel, I, I fall really short of that example. I don't imitate that. You know, righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes through faith in Christ. And yet Paul says this because you have to do this to be safe. You have to do this to be safe. You have to follow Paul's example. You have to imitate him if you want to be saved. No, not if you want to be saved, right? That comes only through faith in Christ. But if you want to be saved, and I'm going to show that here in just a minute because of the next word in verse 18. We see it. And here we're going to transition from the command to imitate to the need to imitate. The next word there. And, and really it's fascinating why Paul doesn't skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 1. And in a sense he could. Brethren, join and follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. My beloved brethren, stand firm in the Lord. And, and we would never miss it. We would never say, what happened to verse 18? But when you look at verse 18... And that first word there, for. Now, Paul doesn't give a specific reason why. But he does show why this command is necessary. Okay? Because, because he's going to point to the existence of a problem. And this is why you need to follow Paul's example. You need to be all in for Christ's glory. You need to be all in for the welfare of the saints. You need to be all in in sacrificial living. And here's why, in the beginning of 4, many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And that is why. That's why you need to follow Paul's example, because enemies of the cross of Christ exist. Now, maybe you're like, okay, I already knew that. I already knew that they were enemies. How does that have to do with following Paul's command to imitate? Why do I have to sacrifice like Paul did? Why do I have to be all in like Paul was? Wasn't he an apostle? Why, why, why do I have to follow his command? I'm just a normal Christian. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't give you any out. He says, imitate me and, and follow those who imitate me. Well, it's because there's danger. 
These enemies of the cross of Christ are really, when it comes down to it, an enemy to you. They are dangerous to you. They were a danger to the Philippians, and they are a danger to you this morning. And none of you can look and say, they're not a danger to me. That would be foolish, right? You say, no, no, you know, actually, I found, I found a different way to be a Christian. I found a more comfortable way, a, 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 more, a smoother way, kind of more of a, a mailing it in way. I can just coast and be a Christian. Paul says, no, there's enemies of the cross of Christ out there. You can't do that. It's not good for your soul. It's dangerous. So let's learn about these enemies of the cross of Christ and why they, they are dangerous. So let's first look at the the presence of these enemies. He says, for many walk. And this is interesting here. He uses the same word in verse 17. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And then he says, for many walk. So there's two different kinds of walking, two different kinds of lifestyle. The major focus here isn't a clear doctrinal issue. It's a matter of lifestyle. Now, there were doctrinal issues, but they were exposed in in how they walked. Now, when Paul's talking about there's many who walk, and, and one commentator said, well, many really doesn't mean many here. I, I don't understand that. I think that there's many. There's lots of them. But they weren't in the church of Philippi. Re- remember all the glowing things that Paul says about this group of Christians. They, that, that he was confident that God who began a good work in them were going to bring that work to completion. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls them his joy and his crown. So I don't think he's, he's talking here that, 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 that these many who walk according, uh, that many, that as, as the enemies of the cross of Christ, these are not Christians. They are not part of the Philippi church, but they were a dangerous influence upon that church. In the middle of verse 18, it says, Of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. Paul had previously warned of these enemies. Weeping. As it sounds, is a strong emotional word. It's what you, 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 you say, it's what you do when you're heartbroken, that you may never see someone again. It's what people did at funerals. They wept. And I don't totally know why Paul's weeping here. Perhaps this is like in, in Romans 9. Paul's weeping because these were fellow Jews who were close to accepting Christ, but didn't fully. Or maybe he's weeping because of the judgment that that they were facing. I think mostly, though, that he weeps because of the danger that these enemies of the cross of Christ presented to the church. And so I think as he warns them, he is weeping. He is pleading. He knows the danger that it is to those who won't follow his example. That there is a real danger there. And so when he speaks about them, he, he weeps when he thinks of these enemies of the cross of Christ. Maybe he's weeping because of the shame that they bring upon Christ. Because they devalue the work of Christ. But his heart is deeply involved in this and our hearts need to be involved in this too. At the end of verse 18, he, he he calls them that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And it's, it's, it's funny. Commentators really disagree who these enemies are. And, 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 and there's two major ideas. Some argue that these were, are the false teachers in, in the beginning of, uh, of chapter 3. Those who came, into the, the, came to the Christians and said, if, if, if you only follow 
the Old Testament law. You, you can really top off your Christianity. You, you, you can really take it to a whole other level. You're, you're missing out on, on something. You just need to be circumcised. Others, though, argue that it's a completely different group. Uh, and maybe e- even Gentiles who, who were just advocating a, 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 a love of pleasure, an indulgence of the flesh. It's really interesting, as I read through and as I read different commentators, and really MacArthur does the same thing, it's, it's, it's really tough to decide which. And I think that we're going to see that really both of those have a very common problem. And the description describes both because of the common problems that both have. So we're going to look at, at that description in just a minute. Regardless of the exact nature of these enemies, the enemies of the cross of Christ, they have one tactic. Tactic. And that's to limit what Christ accomplished on the cross. And that's what the enemies of the cross of Christ do. They limit what Christ accomplished on the cross. Now, maybe some enemies of the cross of Christ limit Christ's power to justify. Right? That, that what, what happened on there wasn't enough to save someone. That you have to add to that some kind of work. They are an enemy of the cross of Christ who say that. Who say that, that what Jesus did on the cross is not enough to justify us. Those are the enemies of the cross of Christ. But they are also enemies of the cross of Christ who say that what Christ did on the cross is not enough to sanctify us. And, and they may say that in doctrine, but they may also say it by their actions. They claim Christ, but then they devote themselves to all kinds of sinful activities. They refuse to say no to sin. Both of these are living. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Whether explicitly or implicitly, they deny the effectiveness of the cross. And I think probably in first hearing the message of these enemies of the cross of, of, of the cross of Christ, I don't think that you would initially hear anything wrong with their gospel message. I think that they probably could sign off on a whole lot of statements of faith. And they would say, yes, anyone who believes in Jesus can, can be forgiveness of sin, but either they add to it or they take away from it. They either add to it saying, well, you need to add this to, to, to be a full member of God's family, or they take away from it by, by, by not changing by not being sanctified. They were close enough to Christians to, being, to be tempted to be followed. Maybe these enemies of the cross of Christ, may, maybe they had an easier, less persecuted, less polarizing form of Christianity. They just blended in with Judaism a, a little bit more. Or maybe they had a more sensual, less self-denying kind of Christianity that was just more fun. By their living, they denied the cross of Christ. They didn't know the power of Christ's resurrection. They weren't participating in his sufferings. They weren't being conformed to him in his death. Their hope wasn't the resurrection of the dead. Their hope was this life now. They claimed Christ, but in their obeying, they didn't obey Christ. They were okay with the cross as the end of Jesus' life, but not the end of their own. And I think that that, that's really what's in common with his enemies of of the cross of Christ. They're okay with that being where Jesus died, but not where I died. 
right? In Galatians 6, 14, Paul talks about, he says, uh, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul saw that the crucifixion of Christ was the crucifixion of himself, that he died along with Christ. Now, that meant that the punishment of sin was paid. The slavery of sin was, was, was done. But when Christ died, through union with him. But now, think about this. If, if, if someone's just okay with Jesus dying, but then not being the end of your life, and that's totally at the core of what, what those traps we start getting in that we think that we can justify ourselves, that by good works we can make ourselves right. Well, who's still living there? I am. But that's also true if we're not denying ourselves, if we're not saying no to sin. Who's still living there? I am. So they were okay with the cross at the end of Jesus' life, but not of their own. They were unwilling to count all as loss. These enemies of the cross had not yet gained Christ. So we saw the presence in verse 18 and verse 19. We see their destination. I've got to turn back to Philippians here. Philippians 3.19. Whose end is destruction. Their end, their final outcome, their destiny wasn't the grave, but it was in hell. The enemy of the cross of Christ is on a collision course with their creator. We know from God's word that hell is eternal. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Maybe this is why Paul wept. Maybe he wept thinking that one of the believers would follow them. But their end is destruction. Paul's not saying this gloating. It's, it's, it's warning. They had forsaken the true gospel. The cross of Christ was not saving them. That's their destination. But there's also a description of these enemies of the cross of Christ. The first description in the middle of chapter 3, verse 19, describes them whose God is their appetite. And, and, and you see in your notes there, your Bible notes should have a little number. Uh, it says their God is their belly. The word appetite is used for the, uh, it means the lower cavity of the body. It could be used, and this is kind of strange, of the womb, right, as a baby grows in there. It could also be used of the stomach, which it feels hungry. You just know that you've got an emptiness down there, and it's the same Greek word. So I think that appetite is a good idea here, but it's, 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 it's being driven by food. Now, it's interesting because I really think that, that this could be, and again, we do not know who these enemies of the cross of Christ are. Are they, are they antinomians who don't want to obey God's laws? Or are they legalists who require to obey God's laws? And I think both work. It could be a reference to being dominated and driven by physical desires. Whose God is their belly? I want more. Give me more whatever the thing that you're craving. It doesn't just have to be food. It's just being dominated by appetites. It could be for sex or pleasure or enjoyment or friends or control. All those, those, those things that we crave. But it could also be a reference to be dominated by Old Testament laws of what we eat as the Judaizers were. We, 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 we see in, in some, some of you have already come to this in Romans 16. Uh, 
uh, at the end it says, Now I, I urge you, brethren, verses 17 and 18 of Romans 16, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the, uh, of the unsuspecting. And it could be the same issue there in Romans. Is it, is it just their appetites craving more? Or was it that they're being dominated by their appetites, by, 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 by their commitment to follow Old Testament laws? See, either way, their focus was food. Their God was food. Whether it was what they were eating or what they refrained from eating, God was not the ruler of their lives. Their belly was. Both are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who say that the, Christ, that the cross is not sufficient and those who say that the cross is not efficient by their lifestyle. There's another description here further in verse 19. And whose glory is their shame. Their glory is what they boast in. They boast in their shame. Now, they don't think it's shame. They expect to be recognized for it. They expect to be honored for it. But what it was really, this thing that they boasted in and they expected to be honored was really their shame. And perhaps it was their performance of the Old Testament laws. They thought, look at me. I have Christ and the Old Testament law. And they boasted in that. You can think of the Pharisees saying, I'm not like other men in Luke 18. I tithe. I fast. I'm not like the Gentiles. I'm circumcised. It would be what the Pharisees were saying or, or, or the Judaizers. So perhaps they boasted in that thing that really is going to turn to them a source of shame. And we saw that in Romans 2. Look at me, I've got the law, but the law is going to condemn you. You've broken the law. Or perhaps it was their unrestrained sexual desires. Whose glory is in their shame. They're boasting. Look at me, I've got so much freedom. Look at all the things I can watch and all the things that I can eat and all the sex that I can have. glory is in the shame. The things that they were boasting in would condemn them. One day their badge of honor would be exposed as a disgrace. For some people, it is their beautiful calfskin Bible, right? And I'm just using it as a picture. I've got one. It's not a problem in itself. But but just they, 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 they love the facade of Christianity. They love the externals. Look at me. That badge of honor is going to be exposed as a disgrace. It did nothing to you. It never changed your heart. And for other people, it might be that they are, li- that they are, lib- that they are liberally minded enough to have a coexist sticker on their car or, or, or a rainbow flag on their car. And they take pride in that, in, in, in their open-mindedness. But for both, that badge of honor is going to be a disgrace. It's going to be a source of shame when they are punished. See, both of those are are enemies of the cross of Christ. One is saying that the cross doesn't make us obedient, and the other is saying that the cross doesn't fully save us. They're both enemies of the cross. At the end of verse 19, here's the third description. It says, who set their minds on earthly things. Set their minds 
it, we, it was, we've, we've seen this word in Greek several times. We saw it in verse 15. Have this attitude. Have this way of thinking. They have a way of thinking that is on earthly things. And those earthly things could be pleasures. They could be possessions. They, they could be what people think of you. You know, you think of the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes and the boastful, the boastful pride of life from 1 John 2, 15 to 17. But those those earthly things could also be human-made rules, like do not taste and do not touch. And, 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 and if I had more time, you would see that in a Colossians 2.16 to, to, to 3.5. It's fascinating. Right in the middle there in Colossians 3.2, Paul says to, 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 to set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And around that, you have both of those things put together. You've got human, man-made rules which do nothing to change the heart. Plus, you've got all this talking about all these fleshly sins. You would see the same thing in Galatians 5. Don't, don't be in, in, yoked again to, to, to local slavery. Don't go back to the Old Testament law. But then, but then talking about all, all these sins. And really, I think that both of those things, I know, are both displays of enemies of the cross of Christ. See, some confessing Christians are obsessed with earthly rules that make themselves righteous. I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, because they are trying somehow to add to the finished work of Christ. They've got a whole list of them, the kinds of things we've been talking about, that Paul says, I count them all as lost that I may gain Christ. Some confessing Christians are obsessed with these earthly rules. And some confessing Christians are obsessed with the earthly pursuit of pleasure and of satisfying their appetites. Neither of those are true Christianity. Now, I can't say true Christians can't get confused in either of those because we do. But that is not true Christianity in itself. True Christianity is not earthly. It, it's, it doesn't try to restrain the flesh with a bunch of earthly rules, and neither does it abandon itself to the pursuit of the flesh. Both of those mindsets are mindset on the earthly things. And you can see how that is their God is their belly. It's just all concerned about this life here. Where, where was the grace of the gospel, right? The, the gospel that made you love Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul talks about being his imitator, right? There's something so much better than do's and don'ts. And there's something so much better than, than I eat this or I don't eat that. Or I indulge in this or I don't indulge in it. There's a whole other questions to be asked. And the question is, am I following Paul's example? Because following Paul's example epitomizes living by grace to be enraptured with who Jesus Christ is so that you love him and obey him and exert yourself for him and are spent for him. And that you pour yourself out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. See, Paul is talking about what true Christianity is here. When he says, follow my example, he says, be a real Christian. The influence of those who claim Christ but would like to add to him is dangerous. Get away from that. But it's also dangerous, the influence of those who claim Christ but don't submit to him, who don't live like he's their king. And, and those two together are the New Testament problems. Some want to add to Christ, and some run from obedience to Christ. And Paul kind of solves it in a real simple way. Follow my example, and you won't do either of those. You'll be all in for my glory doing something, not, not my glory, not Paul's. You'll be all in for Christ's glory doing something else, being spent for something else, being poured out for something else. 
You'll, you'll, you'll be wanting to see people saved and see people change and see people transformed. But, but you have to follow Paul's example. You have to follow the example of those who are with Paul. It's not enough just to coast. There's, 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 no, there's no middle ground here. You, you're, 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 you're either flirting with being an enemy of the cross of Christ, or you're all in following Paul's example. Sometimes we think we can be safe as Christians by following rules, right? Just play it safe. Don't watch this. Don't go there. Don't drink that. But those tactics are some of the very same taken by the enemies of the cross of Christ. Right? That is not Christianity. It doesn't mean that there's not commands to obey. But we just try to add earthly rules to refrain the flesh. But sometimes we also think that we can be safe as Christians as long as we've got the right doctrine. As long as we, we really get justification right. Maybe our God can be our belly a little bit. Maybe we do glory in our shame. See, we love Paul's doctrines, this justification, but we don't really work at following Paul's example. Does that make any sense? It doesn't, right? I hope I'm not sounding angry. I don't want to sound angry. But we can't do that. We can't say, oh, I love that justification, but I don't really want to follow his example. I don't want to be all in. I can be safe. I can be safe in the middle. You cannot be safe of the danger presented by the enemies of the cross of Christ without following the example of the followers of the cross of Christ. Right? You can't be safe from the danger presented by the enemies of the cross of Christ without following the examples of the followers of the cross of Christ. You can't do both. Safety is right there with Paul in being all out in your pursuit of God-pleasing perfection, not to satisfy God, not to earn justification, but because you have been justified. Safety is being poured out as an offering on the sacrifice of the saints. Safety is having your joy in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Safety is losing all so that you can gain Christ. God knows what's safest for you. Do you want to be safe as a Christian? Or are you secretly enjoying the dangerous temptations dangled by those who are enemies of the cross of Christ? We, we really are constantly, there are constantly those who fall away from Christianity because they ultimately were enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross wasn't sufficient for them, so they added something else. The cross wasn't efficient for them, and they didn't change. That is not biblical Christianity. If you want to be safe from the influence of the enemies of the cross of Christ, you must imitate the apostolic example. That's what we must do together. Imitate the apostolic example. That's what's so big about that word for there. It's the connection. Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. 
before, many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Don't become an enemy of the cross of Christ. Imitate Paul, the other apostles. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Lord, I am humbled by how really heavy your word is. Um, I think there'd be so many, um, I think there'd be so many ways that would sound safer. Lord, Paul saying to follow his example sounds so extreme. We see this, this man, this great bundle of emotions, this, this, this weeping man and this joyful man and this persecuted man and this exhausted man and, 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 and this man who strives after perfection, even though he knows he's going to be made perfect when he's with you. It's such an intense example. And those he discipled are other intense examples. And Lord, I look at those examples and, and, and we need faith, Lord. We need to believe. We need to believe that those lives parallel, that, 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 they, that they exemplify what it means to be saved. Father, I know that we all here have very different gifts and abilities. We have different responsibilities. Some of us are at home with small children. Some of us are older, some younger. Different genders, Lord. We all have different roles. But Father, this command is to all of us to imitate. So please help us to take that seriously for the safety of our soul. We are surrounded by those who are legalist and who will tell us just a little bit more to be right with God. We have that, we know, remaining in our heart, that, 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 that desire to make ourselves right. But we're also surrounded by those who say we don't have to worry about obedience because we're in Christ. Both of those examples fall so short of your messenger, the Apostle Paul. Lord, I pray, Father, you would give us repentant hearts where we're not willing to pick up our cross and follow. I pray, Father, that the faith that we have that brought us to you would continue, that we would avoid either of these extremes of the enemies of the cross of Christ, and that we would be wholehearted after discipleship, Lord, I thank you that there is a forgiveness in your son as we think about communion now. I thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that is in your son. We confess, Lord, that we have often fallen short of, much less imitating Paul, but imitating the perfection of your son. And we come before you needy. Uh, we can't obey you without your help. In Jesus' name, amen.